I think the biggest mistake we make when we feel self-doubt is waiting to feel differently before we take an action. Like when I'm more confident, then I'll, I'll do the thing. When I'm feeling better, when I'm in a better frame of mind, then, I'll, then I'm going to really go for it. Um, mm. And if you, if you have that approach, then you'd be waiting a really long time before you do anything. Have you ever wondered whether there's actually a sustainable way to balance a healthy and meaningful life with your busy schedule? Well, you're in luck, Balancer, because I did too. And the Balancery podcast is now a dedicated space to be curious in finding a balance that just works. Because since we're being honest here, balance isn't a one-size-fits-all. I'm your host, Erica, and let's dive into today's episode. All right, Balancers, today's guest is a clinical and coaching psychologist, meditation teacher, podcaster, and author. She helps people live happier and more meaningful lives via personal coaching, workplace training, and online courses. I'm so excited today to chat about things that I am personally passionate about, struggle with, and I know a lot of you resonate with too, like self-doubt, A-type personalities, trying to be it all, you name it. So I'm really excited. Uh, Cass Dunn, a warm welcome to the Balanceary podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. It's a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure. I've been following you for a while. I really love your content. Um, we've, we've also recently had quite a similar shift in life from moving away from the beautiful Australian beaches across to the, you know, the European side of the world. Well, I'm a little bit more in the middle, Middle East, but you're all the way in London. And um, yeah, yeah you. It bring, it's brings with it a lot huge. of uh, interesting hurdles in life, doesn't it? What have you found most interesting or let's say challenging actually about about moving overseas? Is this your first time moving overseas? Yes. So we have traveled. I've visited London and Europe before for holidays. So this is our first kind of indefinite kind of move. Um, Really challenging, I guess, through the winter. We've just come out of a very long, dark, cold winter and I'm from the Sunshine Coast. So I have desperately missed the warmth and the beach and the sunshine. Do you know, interestingly, one thing I didn't even realize I missed until somebody pointed out to me, we were living in a quite a built up area in a skyscraper when we first got here. Um, and my daughter said to me, oh, you know, when we move to Richmond, we'll be able to hear birds again. And I just went, oh my God, I, you're right. I haven't heard birds chirping for since we left Australia. So because wow. she has got friends who live more out of the city uh, and when she visits them, she can hear the birds chirping. She was quite aware of it, whereas it had never even occurred to me. And so there we moved go. here and I started, now I hear the birds chirping in the mornings. Um, yeah, it's it's challenging. Being it's so small things. <laughs> it, it is, isn't it? It's the things like that that you don't even really realize until somebody points it out. But um Obviously, amazing opportunities, things to see, traveling Europe, making the most of it, but also, you know, a long way from family and friends. So it was a really difficult adjustment, particularly for my teenage daughter at first. Um, And Mm -hmm. if her struggle becomes my struggle because I'm so worried for her. Um, But, you know, almost a year in, we're settled and we're we're actually really loving it. Yeah, it's crazy. You realize when you make such big uh, leaps and bounds like this, how quickly uh, we Mm. adapt as humans, like how... How res- like we're just really good at, at adapting with change and, and change is one of those things I think we can become so held back just the thought of it and we become yes. so fearful and stuck and I just think it's a it's actually quite a fitting note to start on that change is always going to be scary but when you actually just do it, it after a few months it becomes normal uh, yes. and, and something you're doing now wasn't second nature or normal to you like six months ago or whatever the case may be. So it's just nice to see how how easily you can adapt and move into things. 
All right, so I want to actually dive straight into it with a question that I've been thinking about myself, and it's how can we distinguish between self-doubt and healthy self-reflection? So at mm. what point do we know, okay, it's normal for me to be critiquing myself in this new challenge, in this new whatever it is, new relationship, new job, new health regime. It's normal for me to have some criticism and self-reflection. But how do we distinguish that from actually doubting ourselves? That's something I've always been interested to kind of understand if if there's a distinguishable difference. That's a really interesting question and probably not, I'm not sure I've been asked that question before. I think it's interesting, Erica, that you said it's normal to have some criticism. Now, I don't know if I would, if I would agree with that. I think we have normalized self-criticism, but um, typically self-criticism is not, you know, it's, it's not healthy. Self-awareness, healthy self-reflection and self-appraisal is, you know, a realistic and balanced view of what your strengths are, what you're capable of, um, what you know and what you don't know. But you you can have that self-reflection with uh, with self-kindness, you know, with self-understanding and with, all, with self-compassion. I'm huge on self-compassion. And also with some realistic idea of what you're capable of learning and becoming based on things that you've achieved in the past and what you've done in the past. I think that's really normal and healthy. I think self-doubt is when that turns into that kind of almost paralyzing self-criticism and that lack of trust or belief in your abilities and your competencies and dismissing the things that you've done before. You know, I teach a lot now. My main focus now is on helping women to overcome imposter syndrome, which is like a next level of self-doubt. It's not the kind Mm -hmm. of normal human experience that we all have when we're stepping into something new. I haven't done this before. Can I do this? Am I going to be good at this? Is this going to work out? That's all really normal Um, and it doesn't have to be paralyzing. paralyzing. Um, Imposter syndrome can be quite paralyzing and that's when you have this kind of inherent failure to internalize your successes so that you never actually feel good enough. doesn't matter Mm. what you achieve, you never kind of feel like you're good enough. So I don't know if that answers your question but I think we need to go. No, no, I was going to (laughs) say I I think it definitely does because it's almost like it's it's – appears the same, right? So you're engaging and and I'm actually really happy that you pulled me up on that because I agree that criticism is not uh, healthy or nor should it be kind of expected or normalized, even though maybe to a degree it has been. I think I meant to say that that self-reflection at times uh, can feel, you you don't know which way it goes. And what I was going to say to that is I think you answered it well, because in both cases, it's actually a form of self-reflection, but it's the undercurrent that's different. And it's probably the feeling it gives you directly after or the action that you take directly after that can probably tell you which is which. So is it coming from a place of, you know, compassion or is it coming from a place of self-criticism or or doubt? And then directly after that, are you propelled to take action or are you kind of held exactly. back? Exactly, exactly. You know, st- st- stopped in your tracks. Self-reflection when when it's healthy can feel, can leave you feeling uh, you know, encouraged by possibilities and maybe inspired to to uh, do something or or help to guide you in the direction that is probably the best fit for you based on your strengths and preferences and talents and abilities. I think we need to be honest about all of that. Um, it can feel expansive, whereas self-doubt will always feel restrictive. Yeah, I think that's a great distinction. So let's talk to the moments where we feel that restriction. We're actually 
And one thing I want to say about all this is it's totally self-imposed. You know, at times I think we can sit there and go, well, it's because my boss hasn't appreciated me or my team hasn't said this to me or my customers or my listeners haven't given me enough feedback, right? We try to externalize, but I really think that this whole box of self-doubt is one that we build ourselves and build the parameters in, right? But when we're in there, when we're stuck in there, (laughs) it's very hard to be like, okay, well, great. I'm going to take some action. I'm going to feel all this self-love for myself. Like it's really hard to just flick the switch. So for those moments, what, what's your kind of, what are your tips? What, what can you tell us about how to best cope with those moments? Well, I think, first of all, I think we all have those moments. And again, that's really normal. I think, again, if we can make, make the distinction between like normal kind of self-doubt, can I do this? And, and then at the other extreme, which is imposter syndrome, which I think needs a, sometimes needs a deeper kind of dive. Um, mm-hmm. Self-doubt is, is a combination of unhelpful thinking patterns. You know, the story, it's basically the stories that we're telling ourselves. I'm and not it's good also, enough. I'm not lovable. Yeah, stuff like that. Yep, 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 yep. And what will people think? And fear of judgment, fear of criticism. And, you know, all of these stories of, that we have internalized messages, we've internalized about what it means to be a failure. What if I make a fool of myself? All of that kind of stuff. And along with that, potentially some really unhelpful comparison, looking at other people or what you perceive other people are doing or how easily they're doing it compared to what you feel. You know, it's that whole comparing other people's highlights reels to your background um, Mm -hmm. kind of behind the scenes which is always unhelpful so in those moments I think reframing our thinking can be really helpful and there are things that we can do to, to kind of turn that around like I said before even just reflecting on the things that you have done the things that you have achieved I think the biggest mistake we make when we feel self-doubt is waiting to feel differently before we take an action like when I'm more confident then I'll I'll do the thing when I'm feeling better when I'm in a better frame of mind then I'll then I'm going to really go for it um, mm. and if you if you have that approach then you'd be waiting a really long time before you do anything and I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions you actually have to take an action and taking the action will change the way you think and the change the way mm. you feel. Um, but it's taking the action that's the hard part. So I always recommend just um, if you're feeling really stuck, like just taking small action, just taking little action, pushing kind of yourself towards the edge of your comfort zone without actually leaping all the way out. Because sometimes when you leap all the way out and you do this whole like take massive action thing, which often, you know, often big life coaches have told us in the past, we've got to take these massive leaps. Sometimes that can have the opposite effect because if you do fall flat on your face, then you're going to retreat and it's going to have the opposite effect of actually shattering your self-confidence mm. and making you less it's likely. Like, I told you so. Yeah, right? It reinforces that belief that it's not possible. Whereas if you can just push yourself a little bit to the edge um, and then the important thing is to savor that, you know, to be present to that and see that you are doing it and that you you didn't make a fool of yourself and that it is possible. And then those little wins kind of build up and encourage you to keep going in that mm-hmm. direction. Honestly, though, even just something as simple as changing your state in and, you know, if you're sitting, if I'm sitting at my computer and I need to do something or start something and I'm feeling like I don't know what to do or there's a decision I need to make, getting outside, going for a walk, putting on some music, you know, just changing your physiology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can actually there's change so much your science whole behind frame it. of mind. Yes. We can't, yeah. we've got to stop believing this idea that we can think our way out of every problem yeah. because our, our body is actually often the decision maker. And if we can change mm-hmm. our physiology, it can go a long way towards changing how we view any situation. 
Yeah, 100%. And I love how you said, uh, you know, if, if we're waiting to feel different, we'll be waiting a long time. And one thing that I've kind of come to terms with is you – it's funny because you think like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling this self-doubt. I'm feeling this fear at the moment to start this business or to ask this person out or to apply for this job, right? And you think, well, that's probably a sign I'm not ready. But then you wait, you wait, you wait. And ultimately, when you finally take the decision or you make, you take the action, sorry, you still feel those things sometimes. It feels daunting. It feels overwhelming. You feel very outside of your comfort zone because it is just that. You're outside of your comfort zone. No matter if you do it in 10 years or now, it's still going to be that first time you approach it. And I think once you break down that barrier and you're like, I'm literally going to feel this no matter when I do it, it yes. almost kickstarts you into action. So for anyone listening Might as well who, get it over with. <laughs> honestly, for anyone listening who's kind of being held back by that, if they are or they're feeling that self-doubt, just know that that you know, it's, it's once you break through that, you've knocked over the first hurdle type thing. It's not going to go away. It's just a part of leveling up, of getting to the next step outside of your comfort zone. Um, but if we loop back to this whole self-assessment, self-compassion thing, because I feel like at times when we get stuck in that, the critical mind, the mind that likes to think it's right and, and tell us, you know, all the things we're doing wrong, it's very hard to invoke self-compassion. And so I just wanted to ask, do you kind of have a simple question or a couple of questions or just anything you turn to, to help bring that out, to help really bring that self-compassion. Maybe let's talk if you've had, you know, you just have those real shit days and mm. your mood's just low and nothing's going right. It's probably mercury retrograde or something, you know, like it's yes. all happening all at the one go, you know, and you, you just kind of can't shake that negative state that you're in. What other than, I know you've already said st- stuff like moving your body, um, but if we're talking about like a mental reframe, something we can journal or think about, what's a really nice question or just something to think about that can help us get out of that state of mind? Sometimes um, what I think, I'll, I'll get to the self-compassion process in a second because I always just go directly to Krista Neff's kind of three steps to self-compassion and I will use those. I'll go straight to her kind of process when I really need to cultivate some self-compassion. Um one thing I think is a really useful question to ask when things aren't going well, what I'm really feeling like almost like the world is conspiring against me <laughs> is what if this was happening for me? Like, you know how we feel like it's all happening to me, like everything's going wrong or, you know, I've been mm-hmm. through those periods where it's like things aren't going right at work or then money's tight and this I've had a conflict. It feels like person, all the you know, areas, yeah, all, all the, the areas things. are crumbling at once. Yeah. Yeah. What if this was happening for me? Um, like what is there to learn in this? What is the, mm. what's, what's the message? What, you know, as opposed to why is this happening to me? Yeah. Cause we it's can feel very victim. victim. Yeah. Yeah. In an into empowerment. In, into like, how do I find a lesson in this? Like what is, what, mm. what skill or what qual- personal quality am I being called on to demonstrate? Who Absolutely. do I want to be in the face of this? That's a very act kind of acceptance and commitment therapy values kind of question. This, I can't control these things happening, but who do I want to be in the face of all of this? What kind of qualities do I want to demonstrate in the face of all of this? So it can kind of help to shift away from that because otherwise we can kind of be turn into shitty people <laughs> you know when we're you know we can behave Angry badly little, yeah, yeah. yeah little <laughs> victims reactive that we take it out yeah. on other people and take our mood out on other people yeah project so, it outward and it's terrible yeah. <laughs> so I think that's a useful one 
Um, yeah, but the, the self-compassion thing is, um, you know, it's number one, just get really present to what's happening. Be really honest with how you're feeling, what's going on. What That's mindfulness. That's just what is happening in my world and what is that bringing up inside me? Can I just be present to that? That doesn't have to be like a long, like a 30-minute meditation. That can just be like right now in this moment, what am I genuinely feeling? What's happening? And then it can be, let's remember that everybody, this is common humanity, everybody at some point feels like this. In fact, there's probably a lot of people feeling just like this right now in this moment. Like this is not just me. I'm not the I'm not the only one in the world who struggles. Like life in life there is struggle. It is part and parcel of the whole deal and we all get our share. And so this is this is my share, but I'm not alone in this. I think moving because mm. that feeling of isolation is also just can be really painful. Um so we're we're all in this together. And then so given that, how can I just be a little bit kinder to myself? And if this was my best friend feeling how I'm feeling, what would I say to her? Because likely that's not what I'm saying to myself right now. So can I just call up some version of self-kindness? Can I just take a breath and just give myself a little bit of love um, and just recognize that this is hard? Um, it's not always going to be this way, but right now being coming down on myself, like layering on self-judgment and self-criticism and self-punishment to something that is already really painful and difficult is actually not helping anything. So maybe I could just, it's going to be difficult and painful, but maybe I could just lay off and just, you know, give myself some, some space and give myself some mm. grace. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Yeah, that's a really nice three-step process, particularly that yeah. middle piece of you almost just zoom out when you think or when mm. you say to yourself, I'm not the only one feeling this. And it's so true. Like you're not the only one that's just started a new job or that's just, you know, had a big promotion or that's just been thrown a difficult task that they don't know how to do. Like like you said, it's yeah. even more likely there are people in this very moment experiencing the same pain and struggle that you are. We're all part of this like shared human experience. And even you just saying that now, uh, that's actually not a tip I've heard before in the context of, of self-compassion. And I think it's really powerful actually to even still back that point of like, I'm not a victim, like, and, and this is just a part of the experience and you normalize and you get present with, with how you're feeling. It's not always going to be positive and happy. And I think even though we acknowledge that, we're almost still really frustrated when we have the opposite yes. days and we have those down days, even though, you know, we accept it's the ebbs and flows of life. It's, you know, not always as simple in the moment to accept. So I actually really, really love that middle piece. Uh, I'm going to mm, try it next humanity. time. Yeah. 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 I'm in a little bit of a funk. I think that will, uh, that will definitely help to just center you, yourself a little. Yeah. That's, that's Kristen Neff's kind of three, three step process. It's mindfulness, common humanity, and then self-kindness. Mindfulness as opposed to overly identifying with the experience, like I'm, this is all me, I'm, you know, I'm a victim, I'm a this, that. Um, common humanity as opposed to isolation. 
and self-kindness as opposed to self-judgment. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I love it. I'm definitely going to have a look into it a little more after this as well. Um, I know you speak about the fourth wave approach or the four waves of of approach to creating lasting change. I'm really interested to learn a little bit more about what that looks like and how you kind of came up with it. Fourth wave is actually a term that I heard somewhere and I thought, oh, is that what, is that what I'm doing? It's probably, um, you know, this approach to psychology, which is about, and I guess to answer the question about fourth wave therapies, um, which again is a term that I didn't necessarily come up with. You have to kind of looked at what well, what was second wave and what was third wave. So in psychology, traditionally, uh, you know, the, the the focus was on fixing problems. Um, if you're depressed, we need to make you not depressed, and if you're anxious, well, we need to make you not anxious. And it was all about challenging thoughts. Typically, you know, it was behavioral therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy was how do you change your thoughts or how do you change what you're doing in order to feel better, to remove, alleviate symptoms. Um, Then more recently, the last couple of decades, I guess, we really started to shift into what is now known as third wave therapies, which is um, more the mindfulness and acceptance type of focus. And interestingly, with those therapies, they can almost have the same, like when I was studying, when I was training, and I was really into ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy, mindfulness-based therapies. To me, that just made more sense intuitively, logically. It just made more sense than just change your thoughts and you'll change your life, um, even though that's what we all bought into for a really long time. It never really worked for me, Erica. So I was like, <laughs> I'm not sure about this. Whereas mindfulness, I could really get on board with, which was mm-hmm. more about, well, just observe those thoughts. You can't actually stop yourself from thinking those thoughts. Thoughts will pop up into your head whether you want them to or not. And the more that you tell yourself not to think a thought or that's a bad thought, you need to be thinking a different thought, the more you're just going around and around in circles in your head. For me, it was extraordinarily unhelpful. (laughs) So I needed a different way. Whereas, oh, that's just a thought. It's not a fact. I don't actually have to buy into that. I can just unhook from that thought, let it go. I don't actually actually have to actively fight it or dispute it or challenge it or come up with evidence that that's not true. Well, that can sometimes be helpful just to be able to see it as some random thing that's just popped in my head and let it go and not let it affect my mood to me is much more helpful. Also Mm. accepting that I am going to have a bad day. Sometimes I am going to feel anxious. Common humanity. So does everybody sometimes. Like I'm not the special snowflake that should never, ever feel any, you know, anything difficult or painful in my life because this is part of the human experience. And Mm. paradoxically, the more that we um, get present and just kind of accept that this is just how I feel and I don't have to fight it and feel bad about it and judge myself for it, try to push it away, then actually the quicker it passes all on its own without me having to do anything. So that was really the third wave. So things like like I said, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, my, all the mindfulness-based interventions, ACT, which is all about values and then and taking committed action to live a more meaningful life. It became less about managing symptoms or making things better or fixing things and more about, well, life's going to be shit sometimes. You're going to feel crap sometimes. But how do you, even, even if that is going to be the case, how do you live a life that feels full and meaningful and rich and vibrant? How do you live a life that makes sense to you, that gives you a sense of purpose? And are you willing to take the action towards living that life and doing those things, knowing, even knowing that it's going to be uncomfortable at times, rather than waiting for things to feel comfortable before you live the life that you want to live? Um, which mm-hmm. goes back to right back to the b- first point that you know I made at the beginning of this conversation. So 
I was really drawn to that approach and still am. And then I think um, when they talk about fourth wave therapies, it's more I'm just kind thinking of, how it can get better than that. <laughs> yeah, right. It's pretty good. Well, fourth wave, to my knowledge, is and is more. It brings in some spirituality. It brings in some um, things like this compassion and loving kindness kind of meditations. Um, there are other um, body based therapies that we use now that we know are extraordinarily effective. And now there's all of the neuroscience supports the fact that things like tapping, like EFT tapping, mm-hmm. like EMDR, this eye movement therapies, um, the almost what body we, stuff like that, right, like what we used to call energy psychologies. Um, which sounds all very woo-woo and new age, but we actually know now that there's science behind them. But but the fourth wave kind of incorporates all of that. So it's very holistic um, and it can hold, you know, all of the various approaches and it definitely goes beyond, you know, this, I, I guess it's probably taking those third wave and just, just a, a step further and incorporating a lot of this kind of compassion and mm-hmm. um and somatic therapies, uh, somatic approaches, body-based approaches all together too. Yeah. And that's what I do. You know, like I, I like to – I think all of it has got a place and for every individual on depending on where they are, their path, you know, different things are going to serve a different purpose and we need to just not have these silos of, oh, no, and I was trained with, oh, no, I only do CBT or I only do this. Well, how helpful is that? Like, you know, different people need different things at different times. Yeah, I always say it's better to have a toolkit than tools mm. because you need to be able to reach for different things, different, you know, different techniques and and tools work differently on very different days. Like not not only between you and I, Cass, it's, it's actually from within me, depending on how I'm feeling at different stages in my life. I might meditation might work one time, but sometimes I need something a little bit more intense, or maybe I need to move my body. Like it just looks very different. And so it makes yeah. sense to me that therapies as a from a holistic point of view uh, as a resource for people also takes that approach but just in general if we zoom out what I appreciate about this and it's it's kind of a note to self and anyone else who struggles with this too it's less of that initial approach of okay I'm experiencing this thing how do I get out of it how do I just you know move on to the next thing and more about how do I just learn to get okay with the fact that things are not always okay how do I just get that for me is an ongoing challenge. I feel like sometimes I'm really good at it and sometimes I'm not, and I'm okay with that, you know, but it's, it's a journey I am trying to foster more because I really acknowledge, and I think doing this podcast and just speaking to people has helped me, like has pushed me to identify that more than probably what I would have. Uh, But but Mm. I really find myself, and I think it's normal, right? Like you try and just find the exit sign for discomfort and, um, you know, pain. Human nature. Mm. Right. Like, but I, the more mindful I became and self aware, I actually saw myself like just crawling to get out of these situations rather than just sitting in it and just finding a moment of peace in it. And you're right. It is counterintuitive the fact that it almost passes the second you do that. But when you realize that these things just want to be processed, like I really, I've, I've spoken about this movie so many times on the podcast, but I can't recommend it enough. The movie Inside Out just demonstrates oh, yeah. this perfectly right how emotions just want to take the driver's seat sometimes have their five minutes do what they got to do and you know and then then they're they're off they're fine and you find like if you ignore them or you try and tuck them away or not give them their airtime, they just get louder and find another avenue to come out whether it's a body pain or another thought so 
for me, this conversation, you know, even speaking about self-doubt and, uh, you know, it kind of is entwined in limiting beliefs, although we haven't touched on them too much, uh, it all really has a, a relevant place in the, in the self-growth journey, I feel, to just getting okay with who and where you are. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We are, we, I know, uh, I think Glennon Doyle always talks about, you know, just hitting the, or where Glennon Doyle or Brene Brown came up with their whole eject button, like her whole strategy was just to hit the eject button <laughs> anytime things got uncomfortable. And that's, that's true for most of us. Like it's, it's actually, again, we shouldn't be judging ourselves for that. We just need to be aware and recognize that that's how human nature is to want to avoid anything that feels painful or uncomfortable. But the more that we are able to turn towards that, um, and that takes courage, you know, that takes, that's, that's hard sometimes to turn and just actually be with what's uncomfortable, be honest with ourselves about what we're really feeling, if it's mm. particularly vulnerable. Um, but, but that's the only way through. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're right. It just manifests in all sorts of really unhealthy, unhelpful behaviors and patterns. It affects yeah. our relationships. It affects everything. It spills into everything. I know. Mm. I know. Before I let you go, uh, I wanted to ask, what's been uh, maybe maybe of recent or just across your professional career, what's been the most interesting scientific or discovery or piece of research in your field that you that's always stuck with you? That's such an interesting question because I'm so fascinated by research and I don't know if I can think of any particular one. I guess currently, like I'm really into this whole, um, as many people are, the whole neuroscience of trauma, um, nervous system kind of regulation and the the importance of that, which again is why I'm so like not into change your thoughts because if your nervous system is reacting and, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of what we're talking about here with the self-doubt even, it's like there's a nervous system reaction going on, there's a threat response happening and we have to learn to manage that at a physio- physical level, physiological level. There is no talking yourself out of that or pushing yourself through that without doing yourself harm. We actually have to learn to regulate our nervous system. So I'm really kind of diving into that at the moment. I don't consider myself to be any kind of expert, but I think just, you know, there are many people in the field who are quite slow getting on board with that. And certainly anybody who calls themselves a mindset coach or just tells you that the problem is just your mindset. And we've all been down that path. Um, We've got to start, everybody's got to start shifting their perspective a little bit and getting on board with this new, this new way of thinking yeah. Um, yeah, it's bottom up. It's a, it's a bottom yeah. up approach as opposed to a top down being top down being we change what we think and then everything else falls into line as opposed mm. to actually your nervous system is calling the shots and it's actually telling your brain what to think. So you've got to sort yeah. things out from the bottom up. That's quite um, that's quite intriguing. I think years ago when I was, I don't even remember, this just came to me recently. It was a, a workshop that I went to called the Neurobiology of Complex Trauma. And this was over 15 years ago. And it was about children's brain development and children who had been abused and neglected. It was with foster carers and stuff like that, this training. And it showed how their brains developed completely differently when they'd been exposed to trauma. And so I think now the, the whole world is talking a lot more about trauma and how it affects people. Back then it was sort of this taboo, like we we thought it was a tiny percentage of the population that experienced that kind of trauma and and we could just leave, you know, some other specialist to deal with that because it was too hard for the rest of us. I think now we realize that trauma is like walking among us. Like most people have got some kind of trauma. And if you look at the 
rapid spike in diagnosis of adult ADHD and things like that, then we can't ignore the overlaps here. Like the way that our early experiences affect us and not just emotionally, Mm -hmm. but physiologically, they affect our brain development and the way that that plays out much later in life. Um, This is all, I think, becoming much more clear and apparent now, which is why I think some of these newer approaches to therapy are so essential. Because yeah, we're all I find just this a traumatized all... bunch of people. <laughs> traumatized humans. No, I, <laughs> I, I can definitely subscribe to this. Uh, my fiance used to be a chiropractor, and so we used to speak about the language of pain and how the body mm, talks to you. And so right. I can definitely, you know, it, it's so interesting. He would have clients that would have chronic, chronic back pain. Uh, you know, they'd come in, they'd feel better, but it was, you know, quote unquote lifestyle related. They'd go on holiday no back pain, disappear Gone. for the holiday, come back. You know, so, I mean, that that's a little bit of a separate point to what you're making when it comes to trauma. I just mean to say Very relevant though. the language of the body so interesting, how it talks to us, how it communicates. And, and by taking that as like your first point of call and then making adjustments down the track as, as because it's really hard. Like if you've ever been in a moment you felt anxious or, you know, if you've had a panic attack, if you just try and think yourself out of it, it is impossible. You need to activate the parasympathetic you need to change your physical state first so i am very interested to see you know where all this research goes and uh just in general thank you so much for downloading your thoughts and your wisdom today on the show it was an absolute pleasure chatting with you and uh yeah i'd love to stay in touch and i'm going to put links to your socials your website and your podcast in the show notes so everyone can connect and get more of your goodness But thank you so much and uh, I look forward to following along your journey. Thank you, Erica. This has been great. Thank you for having me. 